Welcome to the Celtics Pride Podcast on Celtics Blog. I am Adam Motenko. With me, as always, my twin brother, Josh Motenko. That's right. Ready to go. And our good friend, Mike Minkoff. Gentlemen, we are in the dog days of summer. <laughs> <laughs> we are. I wasn't sure what we were going to talk about. And Mike, you came up with this great agenda. Today, we are talking about uh, our grades for the Celtics offseason. This just happens to coincide with a great article on Celtics blog about grading the offseason. And uh, so we'll talk about that. We'll talk about our favorite moves, things like that. And then we'll talk about key questions going into trading camp. Let's start with grading the Celtics offseason. And they've received some grades from around the league. From ESPN, Kevin Pelton gives them a B plus. Michael Pena at Sports Illustrated gave them an A minus. Greg Schwartz um, at the Bleacher Report, B minus. CBS Sports gives them a B. Go to Celtics Blog to read the article. It's a it's um, a bunch of different writers on Celtics Blog giving their grades. Let's talk about what our grades are. Josh, uh, before we get to grades, let's talk about um, the, some of the moves that were made. What was your favorite move from the offseason? So first, I just wanted to point out that all of the grades from nationally so far have been between a B- and an A- for the Celtics, as well as all of the grades on Celtics Blog has been between an B- minus and an A-. minus. Wait, except for one guy. Someone gave the Celtics an A. It's, it's Celtics blog head chief, Jeff Clark, gave the Celtics an A for their <laughs> off-season moves. Can you uh, say yeah, on love, brand? Yeah. Can you say on brand? <laughs> um, so, Adam, you want me to give my favorite move. My favorite move is Marcus Smart, the re-signing of Marcus Smart and the contract extension there. Um, I was going to say Robert Williams because he's kind of second in line there. So just the fact that we locked up those two key pieces, um, to me, that's that's continuity and that's really important for uh, partnering the Jays with the players that you know need to help them succeed in the playoffs. Mike, what about your favorite move? My favorite move, it's, it's a it's a bit of a toss up, I think. Um, I mean, I <laughs> I really like the the trade to take on Horford, even though it cost us uh, the first round pick and getting off Kemba's deal. I, I think I said that backwards. I really like the trade to get off Kemba's deal, um, even though it cost us a first round pick. And, and I thought taking back Horford was, was uh, a solid return and, you know, Kemba instantly buying out, getting bought out um, by OKC uh, suggests that there really was no other market for him. Um, so I like yeah. that quite a bit. Um, let's just, let's just pause on that for a second, because when that trade happened, we talked about how OKC, uh, and, and Sam Presti thieves people. He's just stealing from people like Danny Ainge used to do. And, uh, I expected him to flip Kemba for, for something of greater value than the return we got. And we need to stop and take a minute to say, Dan, uh, to, to talk about how Brad Stevens got good value for Kemba. They they had to buy him out. I kind of think that deal had been there since the trade deadline last year. Yeah, like I think they right. I think they already talked it through. Um, It was just waiting there when the Celtics were ready to pull the trigger. They played out the season, realized it wasn't going to happen with Kemba, and pulled the trigger. Like that's totally speculative, but that that's my guess. Um, The if they if they had waited because that that deal happened really early. Teams were still playing playoff games when that happened, right? So. If they had waited until around the draft, I wonder that that is typically when there's a lot of trades happening. And that was around when the buyout happened, right? Uh, it was pre-draft for, was, oh, when the draft, the, the buyout, buyout happened. I don't recall. Yeah. I don't it recall. It may have been post-draft, like after the beginning yeah. of free agency. I, I, I have to assume. I've got that Sam Presti, sorry. <laughs> Sam Presti was shopping Kemba during that, that high intensity trade time and he couldn't get anything better. So that's why they bought him right. out. So, so, so but this his, is a win for, for Brad Stevens. The, the, I, I mean, should I still have a sour taste in my mouth about the fact that, you know, Horford's agent probably asked us for that contract? We said no, and now we're taking them back and having to give up a uh, 16th pick in, in a deep draft just to get him back on the contract that we wouldn't sign originally. Should I just get rid of that sour taste? No, well, the sour taste around the, the losing the pick should stay there. I, I actually, so I graded all the different grades to, to come up with my overall grade. I gave that trade a B minus. I like the return of Horford and Mike, you can talk more. I know you've talked to, uh, I can't remember if it's offline or, or on the pod here about how you think the fit of Horford is, is going to really help the team. Um, but I think the reason, the reason that we gave the, the pick 
was not because of Horford's contract, but because of Kemba's. So I, I agree, Josh, that I think that we offered, we, we that Horford probably asked for that same amount that he got in Philadelphia. And I think we were right in, in not giving it to him. And I think Horford was wrong in taking that deal in Philly. Yeah, it it's that's a good question, Josh. It's I think there's a lot of a lot of things people would take back from that offseason if they could. Um, and this was kind of a, <laughs> a recognition and concession. Oh, I just wanted to add part of the reason why I think this deal was on the table since the trade deadline is because Horford very uh, uh, conspicuously um, stopped playing for OKC right around the trade deadline last season, if I recall mm. correctly. Uh, and, yeah. and so I think this deal was there and they were just like, don't let Al get Horford and we'll make this swap. <laughs> um so I did have, have a, a close second, uh, possibly tied for first. I, I actually think this, uh, and, and this, this is going to make a lot of a lot of eyeballs roll. I think, but I think us getting that that traded player exception for Evan Fournier was pretty pretty big, and and really hasn't gotten a lot of a lot of kudos. Um, I know I recall asking the question, kind of hopefully but pessimistically at the same time uh, when we originally learned that Fournier was signing with the Knicks on, on the Celtics blog Slack, whether we could turn that into a TPE. And there was um, a pretty, pretty immediate kind of uh, suggestion that why would the Knicks do that? There's, there's just no reason. Um, so being able to turn, get that $17.1 million trade player exception, only giving up basically one second round pick, which is less than we gave up to get the Horford or the Hayward exception. Um, I think that's an underrated good move from the offseason as well. Why do you think it's so underratedly good? I think it, it just gives us... So one of the things we were talking about this last show, um, what people have, have felt like the decision to make these... Uh, put these extensions in place for Smart and Robert Williams has kind of taken away our flexibility. And and I would say it's... it's and, and the... Richardson extension as well. I would say it's kind of reconfigured the way we can be flexible. Um, this trade of player exception fits well into that latter model, and and so I think it's just another kind of vehicle available for us to 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 get creative and and bring in talented players. You look at someone like Thad Young, and I have no idea if the Celtics are are or really I'm sure the Celtics are interested. I have no idea if the Spurs are looking to move him. But the Celtics could, with that TPE, build a deal where they take back Thad Young. And, you know, right now the Celtics have too many players. Maybe we can just send off, I don't know, whatever, Carson Edwards and Grant Williams um, and a, probably a first-round pick to make it worth the Spurs' while. Um, that's something you can't do without that TPE. So, you know, I, I just think that it gives us more more avenues to bring in talent. And uh, that's important. I spent more time than I care to admit yesterday looking at the sal- the ranked salaries uh, to see who I like that would fit into that TPE. Yeah, I did that like and, a week ago. <laughs> <laughs> and it's players that I like on a one-year deal, some of whom we talked about when we talked TPE ad nauseum over this past year, like a Harrison Barnes or a TJ Warren or somebody like that. But But I'm not a a fan of getting the one year deal. Uh, and then it's a lot of people that have just like, they don't really move the needle for me. So um, we'll, we, we will see about that. Um, we'll come back to this uh, Fournier discussion. My favorite move was Dennis Schroeder. That is a, such a clear value move for the Celtics. I think Schroeder is going to be uh, motivated. He's on a tiny deal. We have the ability to resign him if we want. That was the high, I gave that the highest grade of any of the moves this offseason. Adam, you're such a I don't know what I don't know what to call it. You're you're into the bargains, right? Any bargain you're like, okay, let's do it. It's like sometimes my wife comes home and she's like got all these new clothes and she tells me like what the discounts were and I'm like, yeah, but we didn't need these clothes. <laughs> but it was, we didn't need <laughs> it was we a didn't sale. It was a sale. Uh I no, think, I, I do think we need I do think we need Dennis Schroeder, so it's not it's not a perfect comparison there. Uh, but it's just it's the uh, you know the, the eyes get big when you see a discount. I I agree with Josh's characterization of Adams. Uh, what Adams 
drawn to. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm um, not denying it. You don't hear me. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I so I, I'll I'll have more to say uh, on a on a later category with Schroeder. Um, I think everything we know about Schroeder is that he's not a, a super team oriented player. Now he has been a, a, a significant part of very successful teams or at least pretty successful teams. So he can fit within a winning environment. Um, but like I, I was not super excited about him as someone for the Celtics to target, but I do agree that this getting him at this price was too good to pass up, but I'm, I'm still, um, uh, trepidatious <laughs> about about how how he'll affect the team. Yeah, I have the same concerns, and, and even with them, I, I, it's still got a higher score than anything else. My least favorite move was losing and was the trading of Evan Fournier for the the TPE, uh, the traded player exception. Now, once the Celtics decided they were not going to resign him, then I think the traded player exception it is a, it improves that move. But I would have liked the Celtics to have signed him to that, even if it was to that deal that the Knicks gave him. Josh, yeah, what was Adam, your least favorite move? My least favorite move was the signing of Josh Richardson because it signified that we didn't sign uh, Evan Fournier. And so it's really, the, it's the not trade, that I dislike. The trade for yeah. Richardson or the extension? The Richardson. trade for Richardson. Okay. So just the, just the idea that we would go after uh, Josh Richardson because we didn't get Fournier or felt like the money was too much for us to, to want to pay. Um, th- this just continues this downward spiral of like we had Hayward, who was a perfect third option behind the Jays and, you know, more importantly, in front of Marcus Smart. Right now, Marcus Smart is the third best player on the team. And I sometimes I worry about you know how he plays when he knows that we need some leadership. We need someone to step up if Brown or Tatum aren't doing it in a certain moment. And he now has to be that guy. Um, or we spread it out more and, and it's kind of third best player by committee, which is not, again, not what I would choose. Um, so I liked having Fournier to replace Hayward in that role and keep Smart at bay a little bit. And, and have more leadership scoring wise on the offensive end, you know, to carry us when we need that. Um, John Schumann had a, a good article on NBA.com recently and mentioned that the Celtics were really bad at closing close games last year. We were 17 and 26 in games within five points um, in the fourth quarter. And that was the fourth worst in the entire league. And so it's just important to me that we can close out close games, that we can avoid being in close games, and that we have kind of a, a really good starting lineup, uh, a deep bench, and a good third scorer, third player on the team who can guide us and carry us. Yeah, I'm I'm not going to disagree with um, the the concern around our third scorer. I think that's a pretty pretty evident. Uh, question mark uh, on this roster um, but we and we don't need to relitigate I, I just don't agree with your guys's assessment of the the value of Evan Fournier like I'm not convinced the Knicks have gotten better this offseason um, by adding you know the starting back uh, backcourt to a team that really struggled last year like have fun New York uh you know, enjoyed no longer having that top three defensive identity um, <laughs> as far as I'm concerned. So, you know, I think, I think Fournier is a good offensive player. Um, he's a really limited defensive player. Um, so it was not, it was not concerning to me um, when, when we let him go at the, at the price he was getting, I thought it was great when we got the TPE in, in exchange for him. Um, I was f- okay with us bringing in Richardson. My least favorite move was probably extending Richardson on that one-year extension. It's not, I don't think it's a terrible move. 12 million. It, yeah, it's a 12, 12 million for one year. Um, I don't think it's terrible because once we had extended Smart and Williams, it's not like we had cap space, uh, and it makes his deal, his contract, probably uh, easier to trade. 
Um, it makes him easier to trade, um, gives, makes him a trade option next offseason as well. So I think I think we did it as much for salary cap maneuverability reasons as anything else. Um, but it did seem a little early or premature and strange to me. I think if I was going to grade that individual move, it would be around a C. So Josh, uh, how do you feel about the extension of Richardson? So I, I'm actually not that, I don't disagree with the extension. It's only a one-year extension. And, it, and my comments about Richardson being my least favorite move this offseason really has nothing to do with him. Like, I don't love the fact that he can't shoot very well, but as a guard, he's a good defender. He's smart. You know, he's, I don't mind having him on the team. And I just think he's a bench player. And like he and Schroeder, Schroeder are best as bench players. And one of them is going to need to step up and start because I don't want Horford starting and having two bigs out there at the same time. So it just means, you know, it's really not a knock on Richardson because I, I don't dislike him. Like, I just don't and, want you guys when he plays well this year. I don't want you guys being like he was your least favorite guy in the offseason. Like, well, it sounds like your least itself. It sounds like your least favorite move was the trade of Fournier for a traded player exception. Are, are you just hesitant to agree with me? No, no, I, I agree with you that we should have re-signed Fournier. That was my least favorite move, and I'm just right. talking about how it shows up differently. Yeah. So I'm. I gotta say, I'm surprised, Adam, because I thought your least favorite move was going to be. The Robert Williams extension. <laughs> yeah, I I gave a C to trading Fournier for the TPE. I gave the Rob Williams extension a C plus. Uh, <laughs> so I, I didn't love it. I mean, look, I, I didn't. It didn't make sense to me because of the timing. If you want to hear more about that, go back to the podcast where we discuss <laughs> discuss the whole thing. Um, I, I didn't. It's not. It's not going to destroy the team. It's just the kind of a move where if it doesn't work out. Uh, you have a bad contract on your books, and it's not—it's a, a middle of the road bad contract. It's not a, a horrible one, but uh, you don't really want any of them uh, to have the kind of flexibility that is important for this for any NBA team to have, and that the front office is talking about doing. So um, it was bad, not not horrendous. Also, shout out to at Smiley Jogger. Uh, we loved your your tweet for Adam. Uh, we definitely sent him that video of the best of Robert Williams blogs oh, in 2020, yeah. 2021. Keep them Did coming. You... We, we want all the all the shade for Adam's take and hey, all the highlight videos. <laughs> I'm the guy that sent around the 10-minute video of Robert Williams passing the ball in college. It's just 10 minutes of college passing by Robert Williams. This is before he started showing his passing prowess in the NBA. I was like, this dude can pass. I'm I'm a fan of Rob Williams. He needs to stay on the floor. <laughs> Adam, you got people tweeting at you, and you don't even have a Twitter account. That's how <laughs> yeah, that's how I avoid these things. So uh, uh, nobody, uh, no comments on the Juhan uh, Begarin pick. I, I had a full <laughs> question mark there. <laughs> Was it just about the Wait, pronunciation have... that we still collectively yeah. have not mastered? Exactly. <laughs> Have we signed? Have we signed him? Is he our second two-way guy? And I'm no, he's that? going. He's yeah, back in. Just, he's back in Paris. Him. He's our draft uh, Okay, he's back in France. And Josh, even though we we had to trade away a, a first, the 16th pick, who turned out to be uh, what's his name? Jalen Johnson. Well, we could have had. It, it could have been Jalen Johnson. Johnson. Yeah, who I know you love. So even with that, that was not your least favorite move. Why not? Um, to me, it all goes together. Like we. We got rid of we we had to get rid of that pick in order to get off Kemba's contract, um, and I mean, yeah, I mean, to me, yeah, now you're now you're making me reconsider my answer, Adam. No, um, I I I I dislike the fact that we gave that pick up, but not as much as I dislike not having a third guy on the team. That's more important to me right now. Mike, biggest question from the off season. Again, I kind of have two. Um, I mean, one is, can Robert Williams stay healthy? Uh, you know, I, I pretty clearly was in support of the contract, but I agree with you. He has to stay healthy. Um, uh, Chris Forsberg on the on a Celtics Talk podcast, I think that aired on Friday with Jeff Goodman, um, said that everything he's heard from the Celtics is that they have no reason for long-term concerns uh, about Robert Williams' health based on the information they have. So that was nice to hear. Uh, based on his sourcing, but yeah, I mean, you know, now we we made we made the investment, we made the risk, we made the bet. Um, now now it, the question is, will it pay off? 
Um, I'm, I, I understand why we made the bet. I agree that we should have made the bet, but I do want to see the bet pay off. So to me, that's, that's question number one, question number two, which we'll get to later in the episode is, uh, is who the heck is playing and how much on this, on this roster that all of a sudden has like 12 people probably that expect pretty regular minutes. Josh, biggest question from the off season. My biggest question from the off season is about Al Horford. Can this dude still play like at a high level? Uh, and I'm, you know, a lot of Celtics fans seem to just assume that he's going to be just as good as he was when he was with us last. And I'm very hesitant to think that. Uh, I think that he's kind of at the end of his career here and he may not be as helpful to us as we think he will. Now, obviously, he's a great locker room guy. He does bring some leadership. And I think that some of that will come out maybe even more than it did last time because his leadership was a little bit tarnished by you know having to share the the floor and the locker room with guys like Kyrie and Marcus Morris. Um, so I, I don't see anyone like that around to question Horford's leadership this time around. So you know he's he's obviously from a Celtics pride perspective he fits the Celtic legacy and, and what we want on our squad. But um, you know for the contract he has and. And for the expectations that I think you know a lot of fans have based on seeing him last in Celtic Green, I, I don't know if he can play at the same level. His mobility is down. That impacts him defensively uh, in the pick and roll and in terms of defending the rim. Um, so, I mean, he's going to be savvy around the basket on offense and he's going to rebound the ball at a high clip. Um, but, I mean, I don't see him as being as good of a shooter anymore as good of a passer and facilitator. I mean, he averaged five assists a game for us and like 4.4 assists a game for us. So those were the higher marks of his career. And he hasn't really done that in the last year or two. So I'm just expecting a little bit of a decline with, with that guy and hoping that he can be the perfect uh, guy to back up Rob Williams off the bench and start for Rob Williams when he's injured throughout the year. Um, so that to me is his role. If we're expecting... Horford to be the third best player on this team? No. If we're expecting him to be a starter and to contribute in that way, I just don't see that, guys. There are so many good questions from this offseason. Those were two great ones. Josh, I completely agree about Al Horford connected to that. Can Kemba Walker stay healthy and produce on the Knicks? That's an interesting question. Can Josh Richardson shoot from three? That's a huge question. how will Evan Fournier play in New York? Uh, is he going to be worth that deal over the next three to four years? Uh, can Marcus Smart play point guard? We extended him, and it looks sounds like he's going to start at point and, and run the offense. Uh, I believe that's a clear answer, yes, but I think that some people have, have a question about that. And the Schroeder edition does make that less important. Mike, I th- once you shared your question, I thought, oh, that should have been mine. But then I realized that I, I've already drawn the conclusion, which is that uh, Rob Williams cannot stay healthy. Uh, so prove me wrong, Time Lord. My biggest question is, will the the ownership group pay the luxury tax? Uh, and that's, an, that's not just a question for this year, that's going forward. And if so, how much are they going to pay? Can Are they gonna pay a luxury tax that enables this, this the Celtics to compete in the modern NBA? And I think that's a huge question that um, this offseason really, it didn't raise the question because it was there prior, but it highlighted it because they let Fournier go. Uh, So I'm looking forward to seeing what happens there. I want to add one more question, um, which is, will Schroeder actually fit? Will Mm -hmm. he be able to fit in? and and I still I still think that framing Adam is is interesting on the the luxury tax because um, we just see it pretty differently. Um, I, I just I just so struggle to see how a decision not to go into luxury tax for Evan Fournier signals an unwillingness in general. And I have to assume the front office and ownership group completely agree with you and think I'm a total idiot for taking the side the, the stance that I am uh and that's that's the reason I have to imagine that's the reason they made that move um and the and the front and and if I'm Wick Grosbeck I'm responding to this saying I have always we have always paid into the luxury tax for a championship contender we did it 
in uh, for the Garnett teams, and we will do it again. And this was not the reason to. This is not was not enough of a reason to do that. Um, so happy to disagree on that. Uh, the Schroeder thing. I, I think everybody has this that exact question. I think the front office when they signed him had that question. The coaching staff has that question: Is he going to fit? And it's a much smaller question because the signing was one year at such a low number for him that it's pretty easy to just move him or even cut him if it's exactly. not working. Exactly. That's why that's why the deal was one you had to you you had to make uh, once it got to that number. It's like, okay, we can literally just cut you, worst case scenario. <laughs> and probably trade you. And the legacy of of his position on the team, I mean our our backup to he's our backup to our backup point guard pretty much. Um, and you know, like the guys Peyton look Pritchard at the guys. is starting? What do you mean? Who's the starter in that scenario? So, I, well, I guess Pritchard. I, I see. I see potentially Dennis Schroeder and Marcus Smart starting together, or Marcus Smart starting with um, Richardson. Josh Richardson. Yeah. But I could see Josh Richardson playing some one as well ahead of Schroeder. Wait, but but you said Schroeder is the backup to the backup. So who's, who's yeah? So who I could I could see Josh Richardson playing some one uh, ahead of okay. Schroeder as well. Um, and I'm just thinking back to like who were the third string point guards that we had in past years, right? It was like Shane Larkin turned into Brad Wanamaker, which turned into, you know, what we had last year. So um, I don't even want to say his name. <laughs> uh, you guys remember who our third string point guard was last year? I do. Do you remember, do you remember advocating for him over Brad Wanamaker? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I think Dennis Schroeder is kind of a similar type of player. Um, I've been thinking more recently, obviously, because Rondo got signed by the Lakers about what the Lakers have been doing the last three years with their point guards, where they had Rondo, won a championship with him, and he was their third best player. And then they got rid of him for Schroeder. That didn't work out. So then they got rid of Schroeder and took uh, took back uh, Rondo. And so I'm, I'm wondering, well, obviously Rondo was available. Like, Would we rather have had Rondo than Schroeder uh, at age 35 now? So, so I think if you're getting – so I, I, I think this is a great question. Um, and the like idealized playoff Rondo is a player I'd much rather have than um, Schroeder. And b- by all accounts, Rondo's really good for the locker room in, in certain ways. I think he, he can be a good mentor in certain ways uh, to young players. One thing that I think it's fair to say he consistently struggles with is, is kind of providing regular commitment and effort during the regular season. Um, and I think totally. why he can work so well on a, on the Lakers is because you have like a capital C, capital S culture setter with LeBron James there that totally. just yeah. doesn't let like. So if Rondo is just kind of flitting in and out of being locked in, it doesn't alter the room. It doesn't like it's still LeBron's team. LeBron is still setting the tone. And, and Rondo can kind of bring his brilliance in episodically um, in a way that helps the team reach greater heights occasionally during the regular season and then more regularly during the playoffs. But I think for this Celtics team, the way Rondo interacts with the team wouldn't wouldn't be optimal for what this team needs. I think I think yeah. that like a veteran like Horford ends up being better for this team than Rondo for, for that reason. Yeah, the Lakers are the best place for Rondo because of that. And I think that there's some underlying things that we don't know about that haven't been publicized about why Rondo wouldn't come back to the Celtics or why the Celtics brass would not bring Rondo back. I just want to say right now, as Rondo is 35, that if we are going to bring Rondo back, I don't want it to be 38-year-old Rajon Rondo like we did with old Shaq or like old Gary Payton. Like we don't need those old stars like the Lakers are doing right now when they're they're too old. Like Melo, Carmelo is too old, so um, this would have been the off season to bring back Rondo if we were going to do it. Obviously, he's got better options, um, and it, but it makes the it makes the Schroeder thing like it makes me question the Schroeder thing just a little bit. Watching what the Lakers did with with Schroeder, I think so, Schroeder's are I think Schroeder's a renegade. So to circle all the way back, I don't think Schroeder is going to fit well with this team. I think he's a hired gun type of assassin type. Uh, you know, he's he's a he's a renegade type player in this league, and he's really good at what he can do. He's 
He'll be in the six-man-of-the-year conversation potentially because he has that kind of scoring ability off the bench. But if you're relying on him to start or to, to play a huge role in the playoffs, like I, I just don't see that as being his, his forte. Well, if he's competing for six-man-of-the-year, there's no way he's a third-string point guard. So I'm glad that you <laughs> disagreed with yourself enough there so that I don't have to make the point. Can I, can I also just say that the... In nowhere in our analysis of our biggest questions of the offseason have we mentioned the names of Peyton Pritchard or Aaron Neesmith or Romeo Langford. You know, there's there's been questions about who should start, Aaron Neesmith or, and I was like, what? Yeah, because we all agree that they are unlikely to play as large a role as some of the other people that we talked about. So we, we brought up Rondo. There there have been other things happening in the offseason. Is there anything that other teams did that you wish the Celtics had done? I mean, I've, I've talked about Fournier. Josh, I know that you you like Laurie Markkinen. He just was signed and traded um, to Cleveland. They got him at $17 million a year, approximately. Uh, Josh, anything that you would have liked to have seen the Celtics do that they didn't? Um, I mean, I wanted them to get Fournier. I'm not a huge fan of Laurie Markkinen. I think I knew he was available, and I was wondering what you know if the Celtics were going to do anything in that regard, um, because it just seemed like like it seemed like based on what the Celtics were doing this offseason, they were trying to get cheaper contract guys who have maybe a little bit more upside, a little bit more youth or athleticism or quickness, um, and so Markkinen fits the bill in terms of being younger and can still develop into something and. And to me, like they were just getting a bunch of guys who were marginal, like average pieces to make our bench deeper. Like I, I was, I've been trying to figure out what the Celtics are doing this offseason besides just getting out of Kemba's contract and, and cleaning up the books, you know, and, and sacrificing, I think, some talent in order to do that. Um, I was kind of curious of whether they were going to go after Mark. And I don't think we should have. I'm, I'm not a big fan of his. Um, I, I think if the, if the price were cheaper, both in terms of the, what you had to give up to the Bulls to get him and the uh, salary that you were paying him, I think the Celtics would have been very interested. But that was that's a fair amount to give him and, and uh, that you had to give up so, at least a first. I think, I mean, for, for me, you guys are, are talking about the less interesting player for the Celtics in that deal. I was going to transition to yeah, that, Mike. Your um, favorite, Larry Nance Jr., also well, in that he's deal. Not, he's not necessarily my favorite. There, there are some that have been big advocates for him. I do like him, I, I think, and I think he could fit nicely on the Celtics as a, as a kind of really three, four, five, and more of a four or five uh, than anything. Uh, but, you know, hustle guy, good defender, rebounder. Um, athletic. Uh, I so I thought I thought he could be. I would rather have Nance Jr. based on what I understand about him than Markinen based on what I know about Markinen. I haven't watched a ton of Markinen, but by all accounts, he he doesn't have a ton of toughness. He's not a good rebounder for her for his size. Um, he's he's a good but not lethal shooter. Um, and he doesn't defend. So he's not kind of the guy I would like us to be to be investing a lot of money into over a multiple year time horizon. So I'm certainly okay with not getting him. Um, I think it's a, it's a hard question as to whether I would wanted the Celtics to go to offer what um, Portland offered, which was effectively a lottery protected first in order to get, and, and the Derek Jones jr. So we would have had to have found some, similarly talented player i don't know who that would have had to have been on our roster maybe it just wasn't a a possibility uh to get nance but yeah nance i think could have been intriguing addition for sure are we ready to give our final grades for the offseason i'm ready ready go mike i think i've I've got to give the celtics an a minus when all is said and done um there are a couple of things. One, I thought every move made this offseason was acknowledged that the Celtics were not in a position to contend this year, which is something I'd been arguing for at least a year. Um, and so I was heartened that the the kind of roster building approach was was taking a longer a longer lens view than um, over investing in a team that just wasn't there. And and relatedly, I I thought the moves in aggregate did a really good job unlocking us from some really detrimental salary cap situation um, and positioning us where we could go after a major player this offseason 
uh, if the right circumstances present and we can do a sign-in trade. And if not, we can kind of continue to grow with a group that fits pretty well together and then seek the right kind of uh, complementary move that would likely, based on how this this roster appears, uh, target kind of a, a scorer and or someone in that four or five mold with some athleticism and and uh, and kind of versatility. So I, I think that given given the hand that was dealt, and I think Danny Ainge did not have the best last few years. And for me, I mean, Josh, you were talking about like where where the origin starts for you. For me, the origin always started with the Kemba, the decision to sign Kemba in the first place. Mm. Um, because I, I, you know, I've said this before, so I won't say it too much. But I basically, I, I would have loved to have uh, us for us to have gone with the Hayward, Smart, Tatum, Brown, foursome as our as our kind of core, minus uh, Kemba. Yeah, Mike, you were right. You were right about Kemba. I think it just would have fit the right way. It would have. It would have given anyway. Um, it took a long time for us to realize that the Kemba situation was as bad as it was, and now that we've see, seen like what it took to get rid of him, and then get rid of him again from Oklahoma City. Yeah, you you were ahead of the eight ball on that one. And he, I mean, in in his defense, he was awesome. Like the first whatever half season, he was here. Right. What what was it until he got hurt? Um, uh, he was really really good, way better than I expected, and and uh, much more compete on defense. So he he had won me over in that period, but unfortunately it, it just played out where he he wasn't executing in playoffs and and you know high leverage situations. So anyway, all of that is to say, um, you know I think Danny Ainge didn't have his greatest last couple of years. Stevens entered a situation uh, as a first-time front office uh, whatever, president of, of basketball operations um, with a pretty limited hand and, and I thought, think has done a really good job positioning the Celtics to, to be better than I, I. I'm more optimistic about them for this season than I was at the end of last season. And I think their kind of projection going forward is way better than it had been. So I give it an A- overall. Josh, what's your grade? Well, my grade is a C plus. Um, I think I think that the moves that they made were a lot of lateral moves. I'm actually not as excited about this team as I was before last year, or the year before, or the year before that. This is kind of the lowest I've been about this team in the last four years, um, and and I think it's going to take you know Tatum and Brown escalating up another level yet again to to really be like the dominant forces in the Eastern Conference because I see us as as not getting better this offseason. We got rid of, you know, some contracts that we didn't want and I think made some questionable questionable moves this offseason. And I'm just not I'm not thinking that they're going to result in like an increase in wins this this season. Uh that's that dramatic or like that you know going deeper into the playoffs than we have. Um but you know, if this res- if this off season's moves results in us getting a, a major player because it freed up cap space down the road, either you know at the trade deadline or next off season, then I- I'm going to be proven wrong because obviously this cleaning up of the books set things up for those you know moves in the future. Um, but to me, overall, like we had to get rid of a mess. It felt like like these moves were so great because we were in situations that we shouldn't have been in. And we had to use things like the 16th pick in the deepest draft in the last 10 years to, to get rid of contracts that like were really mistakes to begin with. Yeah. So you guys are on different sides of the spectrum in terms of um, looking at this year, uh, this off season just by itself versus uh, related to moves in the past. I agree with you, Josh, that, um, a lot of the moves that were made this offseason were to correct. I mean, we all agree that they were to, these moves were to correct a lot of the uh, bad mistakes that that Danny Ainge made in the, over the last couple of years, um, and that that brought my grade down. Also, uh, I gave them a B minus. Part of the reason was because they needed to correct things and trades like like you said, Josh, trading the first round pick this year to get off of Kemba's deal just to get the last year and a half of or year two years of Al Horford's deal 
which we had already decided was was too much, mostly for those last two years, not for the first two. Uh, that hurts. Um, and and Adam, if I could just add too, the there's an opportunity now in the league to to load up on perimeter length, and this draft was really deep on perimeter length. I think that having a four man who can switch really easily defensively and handle the ball and, and, and do some offensive skill, whether it's shoot the three or handle the ball and facilitate a little bit on offense. Um, but be really mobile, be able to run the floor and provide like six, eight to seven foot length. I think that's really important. Um, and I think that's like the most vital position right now, like players like Scotty Barnes and Giannis and Durant and Anthony Davis. I mean, those guys, like even in the draft, like those guys are going higher because that position and that skill set is so important. Um, and we're we have Tatum as our biggest guy. That's our guy for you know. And and I think that you need another guy next to him who also provides the same thing to put everybody in their rightful place of, of where we can go and have the length and strength to defend and and match up against the teams in the playoffs when things slow down and and. You're up against Milwaukee, and they're huge. So, like to me, I, I still see this huge hole there, and I don't see that being a priority for the organization right now. And I'm wondering why that is. Like that's that to me should have been my biggest question mark: is why aren't we improving our perimeter length? The other reason I gave them a B minus is that I don't believe in grade inflation, and I think we may need to have Jeff Clark on the podcast <laughs> to discuss that. Well, can I can I ask you both a question on the grades? So because you both kind of acknowledge that your grades were infused by kind of the the reality that they're part of the moves this offseason we're correcting for issues from past years. Um, so if you were to would you give the same grade to Brad Stevens, given that this is his first year in this job? Yeah, I mean, he's got to do what he has to do. And and to clean up the books, if this is what he has to do to create more flexibility, that that's I guess that's a great move. But that doesn't mean that, that he's putting the team in a position to win more games next year. But that's not his sole objective, is it? Um, when I look at like grading an offseason of a team, I'm looking at who did they lose, who did they get, are they going to win more games, are they, they going to create more sustainable winning? And so, like, if you're going to grade Brad Stevens on well. You know, this is his first summer. It's the only opportunity he's had. He was given the hand that he was dealt kind of a thing. But then you're going to go grade the Chicago Bulls based on like the fact that they've actually gotten players who will improve winning. Then you're not grading teams based on the same standards, I don't think. I, 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 I'm, so the way I look at it is, is this team in a better position today to be successful over I guess like the foreseeable time horizon that includes this coming upcoming season but it also includes the next two to three to four years out you know at a certain point the uncertainty gets so much that you can't really plan for that basis especially in the NBA with with relatively short guaranteed contracts and as much player movement but I think I think the team personally I think the team is in at least as good and I actually th- the, the biggest question I have about the on-court product, the quality of the on-court product this year, relates to Dennis Schroeder and how much he fits in. Um, I think all the other moves were pretty clear-cut, building around people that are going to be very, very team-first, defensive-focused, gritty, uh, play with toughness and edge, um, and complement the Jays. Um, we're not going to be a high-scoring team, but I think we're going to be uh, reliably uh, tough team to play against, and I think we'll have better regular season success at minimum than we did last year. Um, and I think we're in a much better position looking out over the next two to three years than we than we were. So that's the reason I give a high grade. Yeah, it's hard. It's Mike. It's hard for me to offset the grittiness and the team first attitude that guys like Josh Richardson and Al Horford, you know, we assume still have when I'm questioning their ability to make shots and to have retain mobility. Like 
I want guys who can defend and be mobile and be team first and gritty, or who can shoot and be team first and gritty. Yeah. And I don't sure. think I'm asking too much. <laughs> well, I really you don't. Be. You might be. <laughs> I mean, we, like when I look at it, is our team going to be better this year than last year? I'm like, well, now we got a bunch of guards who can't shoot, and we're relying on lower level players for more because we don't have uh, the same kind of hierarchy that we've had in the past three years. So I don't know if we're going to be better than last year. I really don't. I like this. I do think we'll be better than last year, it, just because last year was so crazy fluky. Uh, but I do like these moves on the court. I think they'll, they'll the team will mesh better together. Uh, we are likely done with the bulk of the off season. There may be a couple of moves left here. Uh, we do have a number of weeks to discuss this in the off season. But Mike, as we think towards training camp, what are some of the the questions that are on your mind as um, for this team? So for me, there are, I think, kind of two major questions. I alluded to one of these earlier, which is um, what exactly is our kind of core starting lineup and rotation going to be? Like if we have a nine or 10 man rotation, you know, who are those nine to 10 guys and, and how many minutes per game are they getting? Um, and then the other question is, who are the final 15 roster uh, players? Right now we have 16 players on, on at least some guaranteed money. Um, that includes uh, Jabari Parker, Carson Edwards, Chris Dunn, and Bruno Fernando, in addition to the 12 that I'm guessing most Celtics fans will think of and we'll talk about it in the starting lineup rotation discussion. So um, those are kind of the two big questions. I'm going to throw out some minute estimates to you guys for a few players just to see if you think they're reasonable. So for Dennis Schroeder, Josh Richardson, and Aaron Neesmith, do you think about 20 minutes per game for each of them makes, makes sense? I think Neesmith will probably get less. I have not done this minutes exercise. No, I know. That's why. That's the point. That's the point. Oh, I know. I know. This. I'm hoping this is leading me somewhere that gets me in trouble. But I think for (laughs) Schroeder and uh, and Richardson, yes, that makes total sense. They could even play more. I think Neesmith is going to end up around 15. Okay. What do you Um, think, Josh? Unless there's injuries. I think that Neesmith will end up around 20 and that Schroeder – and Richardson are going to end up around 25, if not more. Okay. Okay. Perfect. Your answers are perfect. <laughs> so this is great. All right. And then what for Horford and Williams, do you think each of them getting about 25 minutes per game sounds right? Well, Horford no. is going to have to play 35 because Williams won't get on the court at all. <laughs> all right. I, I think Williams, I think Williams will play 20 when to healthy. 25, when 20 healthy. to 25 when healthy. And Horford? I agree. And Horford? Similar, twenty to twenty-five. So okay, we're so talking you're saying forty being... to fifty. I had fifty as my estimate for those two. Yeah, no, I would say less than that. Okay. You're going to get some time with Cantor at center and and Grant and others. I wouldn't be surprised if Horford plays eighteen minutes a game. I would. Uh, I would. Yeah, that sounds low to me. Um. Okay. Do you think Cantor, Grant Williams, or Jabari Parker, Peyton Pritchard? and Romeo Langford would each get about 10 minutes a game. Say the list again. It's Cantor, Pritchard, Langford, and one of Grant or Jabari Parker. I assume they're going to be like interchangeable. I don't know how to deal I with hope, them otherwise. I hope, I hope Jabari Parker gets zero minutes a game. Yeah, I do too. 100% yeah. agree. <laughs> I mean, at this point, unless there's a deal, he's going to get cut. So uh, we just guaranteed him 100k for like the other week. I don't know, yeah. whatever. I can't for the right <laughs> to be able to cut him later on. I guess I, I hope so. <laughs> um, I when you do this exercise, you you come up with these numbers, and what's really going to happen is that Cantor is going to play 15 minutes a game, but he's not going to he's he's only going to play 50 games because of DNP's uh, coach's decision. He's not going to play certain games because of matchups. I would suggest. Um, it's possible. I think Pritchard is going to have a hard time getting on the floor. I do too. Ten, ten minutes a game sounds good for him. Romeo is might have an even harder time getting on the floor, depending on what Neesmith does. But I think he's behind Neesmith in the rotation right now, and and he may be a bench warmer for a while. Okay, so if you took all of the assumptions I made as as accurate, which we didn't, 
we probably came a little lower on on the minute projections for all of those, you know, further in the rotation and deep bench, deeper, deeper in the rotation guys. Um, that, that apportioned 30 minutes a game for each of smart Tatum and Jalen. Okay. And we probably hope that they're all playing at least 32 and probably JT and JB playing 35 minutes a game. Um, so Josh, when you say you think Schroeder and Richardson are each going to play 25 minutes a game, like these minutes disappear quick. Um, and, and we have a heavy concentration. We've got, I, I organized it by point guards, uh, which, which is, you know, smart Schroeder and, and Pritchard swings wings where we have five guys that legitimately probably think they should play in Tatum, Brown, Richardson, Neesmith and Langford. And then we've got like hybridish bigs, which I'm I'm including Horford. Sorry, earmuffs, Josh. <laughs> um, and then Grant. And then we have other bigs, which is Williams and Cantor. And then we've got guys that hopefully will never play: Chris Dunn, Fernando, and Edwards. Um, I just think I think it really illustrates. Ime's going to have some interesting uh, choices to make, and he's certainly going to have some egos to manage. And this is in particular why I'm really worried about Schroeder. I think this is the exact type of situation where Schroeder could be really destructive. And I'm sure this was communicated very clearly to him and his agent when he was signed. Wait, he's destructive because we don't have enough minutes for him, you're saying? Correct, because there's there's a lot of... Because it's one of those... Ross, it's, it's kind of like the situation Rozier was in. Right. Um, in 2018. Like, he thinks he's better than the opportunity he's going to get. He's playing for a contract... Um, he's going to be, I, I just think he's going to be very me first and he already has a reputation of being me first. Um, so it, it, it just worries me with him. So Mike, have you taken into account the fact that there's potentially going to be a higher tick in minutes for each individual due to like other people being out due to COVID protocols? Like, I think everybody's minutes last year on our team in, were, were higher than they would have been had everyone just played a normal This, this is assuming everyone's healthy all the time. The, so this yeah. is this is a very, 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 like, superficial pass at this. And, yeah, certainly people missing time or getting rest or whatever, like, how this actually operates game to game will be will be certainly not hold to this on a, on a game basis. But I do think if, if people are pretty reliably healthy which certainly can hope for uh but you're right probably shouldn't count on um it's there'll be some really interesting and tough choices for Ime to make yeah and the decision uh for Ime and and potentially for brad stevens is about whether you are playing guys who are younger and need repetition to improve like peyton pritchard or playing guys that may have more impact on the court like uh uh Dennis Schroeder. Um, And it's once they signed Schroeder, it became hard for me to envision how Peyton Pritchard gets on the court with a consistent role. I agree. And one one thing that really stuck out for me from his rookie season, I mean, there. If you recall, like the first seven or eight games of the season, he was so much better, and that was when Kemba was out, and then he hurt his knee. But then when he came back and Kemba was there and his role was less certain, I think it really influenced his ability to play with kind of the same steady confidence. He um, talked about it too. He said yeah. when Kemba was out, he knew what his role, that he right. had a role, that he had to be ready to come off the bench every night and play 20 minutes and, and lead the offense. And and so it's, I mean, it's it's right there in his words that that has an impact on him. Yeah, so I agree. It'll be it'll be interesting to see. Now, do I doubt? I mean, to your point, that Schroeder is a better on court, is more impactful on the court than Peyton Pritchard, like today. No, of course he is. Um, and and I think Peyton Pritchard has a pretty clear ceiling as far as just how impactful he can be within a rotation. I think he could be like a ninth man, maybe an eighth man, on a on a really good playoff team. Um, you know, if if Schroeder is actually disruptive to like team chemistry, then then that's uh, th- then you probably cut the cord on that pretty quick. So it'll be interesting. I don't know. It's going to be a, it's a it's a bit of a, a surprising logjam, especially when last season we were running out players like <laughs> uh, God. What what was our 
what was our uh, Luke Cornett and <laughs> I mean it last was, last off season uh, we were I was saying Grant Williams has to play real minutes for this team. He's like your he has to be your sixth or seventh guy, and, and we, we were counting on rookies and second year players to play real minutes uh, as contributors, and yeah. that is not a normal thing to for a, a good NBA team to do. And this year we don't have that problem. Now you actually have to earn your minutes, and it's a great thing. And you're always going to have injuries, so guys are going to get an opportunities. So who who do you you already kind of answered this, Josh, but like, who do you think Ime will make the starting five? Not who do you want to be the starting five? Who do you think Ime will make the starting five? Robert Williams. Sorry, the the starting lineup. I meant, I meant the whole lineup. Oh, um, I think it's going to be Robert Williams, Tatum, Brown, Josh Richardson, and Marcus Smart. And I would say the same as Josh, except sub Al Horford for Robert Williams, which is what I said last time before on the pod. And I think a lot of fans are thinking sub Al Horford for Josh Richardson. So you're playing two bigs together. Yuck. Yeah. Yeah, I, I do think that's possible. Um, I, I'm hopeful it's what Adam said. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if it's what Josh said. Um, I, if we start Robert Williams just to counter what you both were saying before and assuming nobody on this pod would be dumb enough to actually openly advocate for Aaron Neesmith to start. Uh, If Robert Williams is starting, I'm here for Aaron Neesmith starting with Smart, Tatum, and Brown because I like the shooting and I like him getting minutes. But I I don't think we'll do that, but I'd be open I I love Schroeder and Rob Williams and pick and roll, lob threat, uh, uh, vertical spacing coming off the bench. I like Neesmith coming off the bench with them. I like those three guys coming in together to sub people out. Uh, so you're subbing out Al Horford, uh, probably Marcus Smart, and um, either Jason or Jalen. And then you're staggering minutes for Jason and Jalen. So one of them is always on the floor at the same time. Um, so you really, I mean, you really have a seven, eight, an eight-guy eight rotation. And what you're doing is, You've got those eight-ish guys, and then if when someone has an injury or depending on a matchup, those you, you tweak that a little bit. Um, so it's not like when you're thinking about who's coming in off the bench, it's not just like you sub out all five. Uh, it's it's That's why they call it rotations. I think there's some intrigue, too, to having Marcus Smart and Josh Richardson on the floor at the same time. I think that puts – it alleviates some pressure off of – Jalen Brown to have to chase around any quicker guards and there's they have a switchability and interchangeability both being able to guard quicker players and post players and wings um, as well as on offense being kind of interchangeable as as facilitators and and people who can set up the offense a little bit and just be kind of similar to each other Um, to me that's kind of like the only intriguing thing of, of the roster moves that we've made this summer that are, is completely different than what we've seen in the past with this Celtics team. Yeah, I like I like how there are, I think, a number of configurations we can toss out there with no weak defenders. Um, and, and I think one of the positives with Josh Richardson, I totally agree, that's kind of overlooked, is how he alleviates that defensive pressure on, on Jalen and Jason chasing guys around the perimeter. Um. So last last question: Who do you think is going to get the cut from the roster? Carson Edwards. <laughs> I hope it's Carson Edwards. Right now, it's Jabari Parker because of contracts. Because Carson Edwards is guaranteed, and Jabari Parker is not. I agree. And Carson Edwards somehow has one more guaranteed year after this one. What? Wait, he does? They I picked believe... up his option. I don't think that. I don't think they've done an it. option. I think it, oh, have yeah, they not? I think it, okay. Okay. Whoa. You know what? No false alarm. It, I thought you know I thought what? it was just a four-year straight guaranteed deal when we signed him. Was he? He was a he second, was a second round, pick? round pick. Yeah, and so it might you might be right. I think you're right. Yeah, I don't think he has the option. I think it's just he's got this year and next year guaranteed. I, I'm, I'm double checking now, but I'm pretty. This is important, Celtics fans. This is a necessary information. <laughs> this is this is why you stick around for the full hour <laughs> to get this these nuggets. <laughs> I my fingers are crossed that that Brad will swing a trade to get rid of Dunn uh, and somebody else uh, to get. Uh, closer to the cap or even under the cap, because if you're only slightly over, it does make sense to be under. I, I think that makes sense. Um, and that will also free up one, if not two, roster spots uh, 
because I think there is some desire to have Jabari Parker on this team. And uh, I'm in on, on having the flexibility of having an open roster spot for somebody that um, waits around uh, and wants to be on a playoff team um, or some, or for buyouts uh, later in the year. And yeah, his deal expires in 2023. Ouch. Okay. So I hope it's done in Edwards. Shout out to uh, Bruno Fernandez. Fernando. Fernando. You can't make fun of me for saying that if you could say it also, Josh. <laughs> hey, I, that was a test for you guys to see yeah, if you okay, noticed. Good job. Um, shout out to Bruno for, for retweeting all the time about everything Kevin Garnett. You know, retweeting that he's the date of his uh, jersey retirement, retweeting like different pictures of, of the big ticket and his most intense moments in the NBA. You know, we... We love Bruno. Stay there at the end of the bench, but uh, we do love like his his hustle and his attempt at ferocity. Yeah, Bruno has he loves K- KG is his favorite player. He's never met him. Hopefully, he will have that opportunity. All right, everyone, thanks for listening this far. This has been the Celtics Pride Podcast on Celtics Blog. <laughs>